As you know, Human Events Daily is powered by Turning Point USA. A couple of Turning Point USA, TPUSA updates for your radar. Number one, the debate night that was just held, Charlie Kirk, Rachel Bittekoffer. Watch Charlie face off with the anti-fascist founder of Strike Pack and an actual former professor on critical race theory, the history of slavery, so many things. He pulls zero punches and neither does she. The next one to bring up, Dallas, Texas. We are going down. It is the YWLS this year, the Young Women's Leadership Summit, June 2nd to 4th. Make sure you go. Reserve your tickets now, YWLS at tpusa.com. When this thing sells out, when the thousands and thousands of seats are gone, do not come to me asking for tickets. tpusa.com slash YWLS. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today's top stories, the war in Ukraine. We're on day 26. We've got a full on-the-ground update for you. Next up, four U.S. Marines died in Norway during a NATO drill. We'll explain that. Third, the U.K. says that COVID deaths may have been overcounted, and Twitter is censoring the article. And then finally, Alvaro's capture, a milestone in the cartel war. We'll dig into it. All this and more ahead, Human Events Daily. Now is the time for meaningful talks. That was the message from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to Moscow on Saturday as he called on Russia to stop its invasion. This is the only chance for Russia to reduce harm from its mistakes, he said, adding that it would otherwise take Russia several generations to recover from the war. All right, do we now enter day 26? the war in Ukraine. We've got a new assessment out just last night from the French Ministry of Defense. Let's dig into it. Strong pressure on urban centers on the east and south is maintained by intense bombardments, in particular in Mariupol and Mykolaiv. In addition, the city of Mariupol, whose first defenses have been breached, Izium, is under strong pressure. Elsewhere, the tactical situation remains fixed. On the northern front, Kyiv, the encirclement maneuver from the west and east of the capital continues. On the eastern front, Kharkov, the Russian forces continue their maneuver to encircle the city in parallel with numerous bombardments, in particular the south in the area of Izium. Remember, that city of Izium, I've explained again and again, is such an important point to this because that would be the breakout point for those Ukrainian forces that are at risk of envelopment in the east. If Russia is able to take that strategic city of Izium, cut off that highway from north and south, then they will effectively have encircled in what they call the southern cauldron, the Ukrainian forces that are there in the east that have originally been uh, maintained along the line with the Donbass region. Next. Dnepro, again, Dnepro is just past this to the west on the Dnepro River itself. We're seeing now a probable convergence point of Russian forces in the south and east, which continue to regenerate in preparation for maneuvering into that city of Dnepro itself. Mariupol, the fighting is now taking place near the city center itself, and Russian strikes remain intense as the health situation of the inhabitants and the combatants continues to deteriorate. Now, on the southern front, slow but 
steady advance of Russian forces towards the towns of Zaporizhia and Kriviri is very significant because that is again on the western bank of the Dnieper River. This is an area on the west where we haven't seen the Russians too active. Now they're beginning to advance along that western half of the country as well. Finally, Mikolaev, the bombardments and the fighting are extremely intense for control of the town and its surroundings. Now, some information on the political side that came out over the weekend, President Zelensky has banned 11 opposition parties and has signed a new order under martial law to consolidate all Ukrainian television under one government-approved media uh, control. I think a lot of people here in the West are worried that, boy, uh, Klaus Schwab would love to be able to have, do something like that here in the United States or across the West writ large. He wants to shut down shows like this. They want to censor people like ourselves and others out in independent media, across social media. That's why you see the kind of censorship that's out there. We're going to talk about censorship in an upcoming segment about COVID and the overcounting of deaths or possible overcounting of deaths in the UK. Ukrainian military forces are in dire straits. Now, Russia, it was reported over the weekend, called for the combatants in Mariupol to surrender. They said, we're going to institute a ceasefire, allow civilians to continue to flee the area, and hopefully as many civilians as possible can get out of these areas where the fighting is in. They can utilize these humanitarian corridors. We've also seen videos about how there's a lot of vetting that's going on of these civilians. They're looking for people who have ties to this neo-Nazi Azov battalion. And remember, that Azov battalion is... Uh, has as one of their, their headquarters and one of their choke points really is that city of Mariupol. That is a place where they are highly concentrated and maybe making one of their last stands. Now, we heard, of course, from the Russian side, they were calling for a surrender. From the Ukrainian side, they rejected that. So they rejected the idea of surrender in Mariupol. We've not seen the surrender in any of the major cities whatsoever across Ukraine as the fighting continues. On the diplomatic side, not a lot to report. I wish there certainly were. I wish there were more of a ceasefire talks that were going on. But when you hear people in the EU and when you hear people across the United States, these politicians, you do not hear many people calling for de-escalation. And that's the way you've got to read the news these days. Who is calling for escalation and who is calling for de-escalation? These are the two camps in which we can put our political leaders and our thought leaders. And yet all we hear is more escalation, more weapons, more killing, more shelling. That seems to be the only thing that leaders on any of the sides of this are calling for. Uh, the, the one person that we've heard calling for de-escalation or any kind of talks are the Turks, right? Erdogan, of course, which puts them in a tough position because they are a NATO member, and yet they are also very pro-Russia. Stick with us, Human Events, as we continue our daily coverage of the ground updates on the battlefield of Ukraine. Last week, a study by the American Psychological Association revealed that over 80% of Americans feel anxious about inflation and the war in Ukraine. I cannot emphasize this enough. Take care of your bodies. It will help. You got to exercise. That's number one. But how do you start? Eat healthy, which is why I recommend Field of Greens from my friends at Brickhouse Nutrition. Field of Greens is packed with 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables loaded with antioxidants, 
It supports your immune system, your heart health, metabolism, blood pressure, and digestion, plus it is pre and probiotic. And because Field of Greens uses real organic fruits and vegetables, there is no mixing and matching pills. I'm telling you, Brickhouse Nutrition does it right. You just put one scoop in a glass of water, stir, and you're done. Here's the best part. It tastes great and it comes in multiple flavors. So what's the website? You go to BrickHousePoso.com and get 15% off your first order with promo code POSO. They also just released a health bar version called Whole in One. It's great as an on-the-go snack. It doesn't have that chalky protein bar taste. And all you need to do is tear off the wrapper. There are no more excuses for not eating healthy. Check it all out, BrickHousePoso.com. So terrible news out of Norway over the weekend and really far north, all the way up inside the actual Arctic Circle itself. We got reports that four U.S. Marines were killed during NATO drills in Norway. Now, they have been identified uh, and I'll read their names for you here is right off the coast of Norway. And it looked like it was a helicopter crash crash again. Another incident involving the MV-22 Osprey. There's been so many incidents involving this thing. You know, I remember that when I was serving in 7th Fleet, um, they were talking about exporting these to Japan and the Japanese military and even a lot of the Japanese uh, civilian leaders were very concerned about these, uh, their tilt rotor aircraft and we're very concerned of them flying over civilian airspace in Japan because of so many issues that have plagued this platform, the MV-22 Osprey, since its inception a few years ago. So the four Marines who died in this, Corporal Jacob M. Moore of Cattlesburg, Kentucky, Gunnery Sergeant James W. Speedy of Cambridge, Ohio, Captain Matthew Tomekovich of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Captain Ross Reynolds of Leominster, Massachusetts, ages 24, 30, 27, and 27, 30 years old, was the oldest one. Semper Fi to the Marines who lost their lives out there. And now understand, the reason that we're seeing this, the reason that we're seeing these operations continuing on in the Arctic Circle, in the far north of Norway, right? Norway is the northernmost NATO member, I suppose you could say Canada potentially, but the northernmost native member in terms of Europe. And Sweden and Finland, which of course are also part of that Scandinavian peninsula that are right next to Norway, are not members of NATO. And so there's been a lot of talk lately about whether or not NATO should be expanded, what should be the limits of NATO expansion, and writ large, what is the purpose of NATO? Is NATO truly a defensive alliance? Or if when you look at the recent history of NATO, if you look at the history of the invasion of Libya, the bombing of Libya, the destruction of that country's government, the bombing of Yugoslavia during the 1990s, the attacks in Afghanistan and the occupation of Afghanistan that continued for 20 years, these were all NATO-led missions. And so the question that a lot of people are saying is, is NATO purely a defensive alliance when it's conducting operations like this around the world? Now, possibly it might be defensive alliance in terms of Europe, but it also clearly has offensive capabilities around the world and obviously has been focusing on areas like Georgia and Ukraine going all the way back to 2008. And NATO membership for Ukraine is, of course, one of the main provocations that's been cited by the Russian side as the cause for the recent 
uh, uptick or the recent start restart, you could say, of the Russo-Ukrainian war. All the way back in 2014, by the way, NATO played a role as well. And that's why I'm talking about it this way, because people need to understand that you can't come into this story. You can't come into the story of NATO, of U.S.-Russia relations, of Western Europe and Russia relations as if, you know, history began in 2010 or history began in 2022. That's not how it works. All of history leads you to a certain point and these influences and these contexts and these pressures, the pressures of history itself, the pressures of economics, the pressures of demographics, they all play a role into everything that we see play across. And of course, culture plays a part of this as well, right? It's simply a fact that many of the people of Ukraine speak Russian. A lot of the people in Russia consider Ukraine to be a part of Russia. I'm not making that argument. I'm simply saying that's how they view it, that it, and it is a complicated situation. And so when they heard that NATO was potentially going to separate, and keep in mind, that would be a clear separation of the military bloc of NATO by bringing Ukraine in. You've got a lot of people that are, um, you know, they're either they've got, you know, one parent is Ukrainian, one parent is Russian. You've got people who speak different languages. You've got family that's across those borders. But if Ukraine joined NATO, that means a military bloc would then separate them. That means certainly immigration would become a huge issue. Travel and transport would become a huge issue going across those borders because now you've got a military alliance separating the two sides. Also, you've got the basic security potential as well, because if they were going to be putting missiles, bases inside Ukraine, this, of course, was seen as an existential, existential threat by the Kremlin. But I want people to also understand this. A lot of people that I hear, the neocons, the sort of establishment right, they love Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And Solzhenitsyn is known for writing the Gulag Archipelago as someone who actually spent time as a dissident who was arrested and placed in the Gulags. But Solzhenitsyn himself was a massive critic of NATO, and he was a supporter of limiting NATO elements from, ex from expanding into Eastern Europe. He certainly didn't want Ukraine to be part of NATO, and towards the end of his life, did support elements to rein in the oligarchs in Russia and supported the re-strengthening of Russia. See, people got him, people got Solzhenitsyn all wrong. He wasn't anti-Russia. He was anti-communism. And imagine if how different history could have been if instead of America demonizing and provoking this world nuclear power, that they had actually tried to find ways that we could cooperate together in a true world order. Easter is coming up. Easter Sunday is fast approaching. So to all the fellows out there, to all the ladies, as you're getting stuff ready for Easter, just keep in mind that when the gift giving comes around for those kitties, for the special people in your family, remember to go to MyPillow.com and utilize promo code POSO for up to 66% off. And you can get the amazing Bible pillows. You can get the incredible deals, the slippers, the toppers. You can get the sheets, the towel sets. Have them all for your Easter basket while you're getting it set up. The Bible pillows, by the way, we love them. But this weekend, I got to tell you guys, so something... It happened. It actually happened this weekend. So Jack Jack, he's my three-year-old, three-year-old going on 30-year-old. And he is, uh, he always sleeps with the Bible pillow. So he always has 
his um, nativity scene pillow. And so every night we say, uh, good night, Joseph. Good night, Mary. Good night, baby Jesus. Good night, sheep, because the sheep are always there. But this weekend, I let him stay up a little bit. It was Saturday night. We were watching uh, watching some TV, and we had the big my pillows out on the bed in our spare bedroom. Well, he actually asked me if he could take the full-size my pillow back to his bed with him, and I let him. So now for the very first time, he's got his full-size my pillow, and ladies and gentlemen, I don't think he's giving it back. So there you go. From three years old, we've got a lifetime MyPillow supporter. And you can be too. MyPillow.com, promo code POSO. This next story, folks, so ridiculous and crazy, possibly even criminal. We've got to get into it. And of course, it involves Dr. Fauci. So Dr. Fauci was out this weekend. They finally let him back on ABC, this egotistical maniac um, who's, you know, yeah, he's the highest paid guy the highest paid doctor and the highest paid employee in government, but it actually shows that he's not really that smart because if you're the highest paid person in government, that still means you're making far, far less than the people in the private sector. So yeah, he's making his 400 plus K, but he could be making millions in the private sector, the same private sector, by the way, Big Pharma, that's making billions off of Dr. Fauci. Take a listen. You know, you said you're going to stay in this job until we get out of the pandemic phase. Of course, you've been serving your country now for decades. Are we approaching the point where we are past the pandemic phase and you'll uh, go get some rest? <laughs> I'm not so sure, George. I want to make sure we're really out of this before I really seriously consider doing anything different. We're still in this. We have a way to go. I think we're go clearly going in the right direction. I hope we stay that way. But here's what I found completely interesting. So Daily Mail had the headline up over the weekend that I saw, and it said dailymail.co.uk. So Daily Mail is, of course, a UK publication. It said, did official figures overestimate Britain's COVID death toll? The chaotic way that mortalities were recorded during the pandemic could mean that thousands were wrongly blamed on the virus. And so there was this really interesting uh, Eve Simmons article, and she's writing about this and talking about the difference between people who died from COVID versus people who died with COVID. And it's been a debate that a lot of people have been making since day one of this entire thing that came out. And so how should we, you know, how should we measure this? And now it's starting, by the way, in mainstream publications to start to finally get traction, of course, two years later. And so we may see revisions down when it comes to the final, um, the final stay on all of COVID. But what was even more interesting to me was that I went to tweet out the article. I see in the comments, people are saying, hey, Poso, um, you know, we're clicking on this, but you know, um, Twitter is sending us to a splash screen that says, warning, the link you may be trying to visit is unsafe. So I tried it myself and lo and behold, I got the exact same message. And yet it simply went to the main Daily Mail website. It wasn't some like extra site that they were, click they were sending you to when you clicked on it. And it only happened through Twitter. Twitter was trying to censor this article specifically. And why is that? Well, it's probably because of keywords that are on there. And yeah, sure, there may be of some, maybe of some technical issue that they were going with. But isn't it interesting that all of the technical issues, all of the glitches, all of the errors go in the same direction? Statistically speaking, you would think that there would be some errors every once in a while that went in the other direction. That's just called the law of averages. We don't live in the law of averages anymore. 
We live in the law of unintended consequences. Across the country, Americans are discovering that if we want to change this nation, we have to change the way the marketplace works. Woke corporations, they're seeking to divide us. Big banks are freezing the accounts of people who disagree with their political views. And our supply chain is dependent on countries that actively work against our values, you know, like China. It is time for a change. And that change starts with you and your wallet. Stop giving money to people who hate you. So what do you do? That is why I'm proud to partner with Public Square. Public Square is the largest directory of freedom-loving businesses our nation has ever seen. It's really easy to use. It is the first app, Public Square. It connects you, freedom-loving Americans, with your local community and the businesses that share your values. So what do you do? You download it to your phone, you go to the App Store, you go to Google Play, and you download Public Square, and then you can just look into it. It is so easy. So you can find the businesses that are right around you that will take a stand against COVID mandates, the banks that won't cancel you for your political views, or you can just go to a restaurant that only buys from local farms. By the way, if you have a business, you can list it for free so that people in the community can find you. It's great. This is basically, it's kind of like Nextdoor, but for Patriots. Download the app today, Public Square. That is Public Square, Public Square, the App Store and Google Play. So I kind of feel like I'm the only person in the English language media that actually cares about this entire story about El Huevo and this massive cartel leader who was taken out in northern Mexico, captured last week, not killed, but captured and deported to the United States. See, there's this massive cartel war that's been going on in the narco state that's directly to the south of the United States. And yet for some reason, we, we don't talk about it. We don't report on it the same way that we talk about Ukraine. And I said, you know what? Well, how much of that is on me then, right? You know, I've become a media figure at this point. There's people that listen to me. I found in El País, which is the, it's the main newspaper of Spain, believe it or not, they had an incredible article over the weekend, and I'm gonna to link to it, and I've got the translation here, but this is a fascinating article that's just actually digging through and explaining everything that's going on with this latest update in the war. I wanna read some of it to you, but understand, so the Zeta cartel, the Los Zetas cartel, was the most powerful and most brutal cartel on the border up until just a couple of years ago when the leaders of them were, um, were captured or killed in various operations between the United States and Mexico. These guys, and I talked about it a little bit last week when we were going into the story, insane levels of brutality, uh, dissolving bodies in acid, beheadings, hangings, carving people up and then leaving them as messages for others. By the way, the, the Zetas, how did they get started? They were part of the Mexican military who trained with US special forces and then broke away and became their own cartel. So they were going after them, but now there's a new generation of basically uh, after the cell was broken, after the cartel was broken, numerous splinter cells broke off. Some of them are trying to reconstitute it, but then other members of them are, are fighting each other. And this guy, El Huevo, was the leader of one of these breakaway cells of that, uh, of that larger Los Cetas cartel. And so 
in this situation, you've got him who's a nephew. He's a member of the Trevino family, and the Trevinos were the leaders of the Zetas. But there's other people in northern Mexico that don't want the, the Trevinos to come back. They don't believe that he is, you know, the rightful heir. So this is a piece from, from El País explaining it. Despite the fact that there are two powerful organizations that control drug trafficking throughout Mexico, the Sinaloa Cartel and the Jalisco New Generation, the Northeast Cartel is the third largest criminal group. Their presence in many territories, such as uh, Tamaulipas, Nuevo León, Cojilla, Tabasco, and Veracruz, has consolidated them more quietly than the big ones as one of the main Mexican drug cartels, as explained by security analyst Eduardo Guerrero. Those from the Northeast, they managed to accumulate a large part of the cells that broke off from the old Zetas. Its character, like that of its founders, is to impose force using terror above any type of negotiation or red line. And although, according to, to the security consultant Lantia, they have suffered persecution from the state government led by Francisco Garcia de Vaca, they remain robust. So understand, this is part of them trying to rebuild that empire, but... The question comes, if they take out El Huevo, do the other cartels then stand to gain by taking over this area? Are they working with the other splinter cells of the Zetas, or are you going to see more infighting? Keep in mind, this is happening directly to the south of the United States, only feet away, minutes away from the U.S. border, right across in the narco-state anarchy to our very south. And that is all the time we have today. Human Events Daily. Remember, our promise, our oath, our solemn bow to you. Be good, be brief, be gone, and your homework for us. Share this out with one of your normie friends and leave us your five-star review. Folks, today we talked about the war in Ukraine, Day 26 update. We talked about the four U.S. Marines who died tragically in Norway on that MV-22 Osprey during a NATO drill. We talked about Twitter censoring the article about U.K., potentially overcounting COVID deaths. And we got into this crazy level, El Huevo's capture, the milestone in a cartel war. He literally has, this guy, by the way, I didn't mention, a team, his own troop of assassins, Sicarios, that he calls the Troop of Hell. You need to read more about El Huevo and the cartel war, and we're gonna be talking more about it. Before we go, today's history break. Today in 2006, the first ever tweet sent by Jack Dorsey. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.